Please take a Bible, if you will, and and turn to Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments, the first 18 verses or so. I'll read from two passages of Scripture today, Exodus 20, and then also from Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Beginning in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, it takes this, the fifth commandment about honoring father and mother and expounds on it. The first four verses of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Before we get to our scripture and sermon today, I want to take a, uh, a moment just to express some personal gratitude, uh, not expecting the events on a national level of this past week. I want to tell you, I was reminded how much I am grateful for this church and its leadership for your longstanding commitment to life. Uh, I am so grateful to those who have taught through the years that all life is sacred and therefore it should be protected, whether born or unborn, regardless of age or color or nationality. And you have been not only bold and courageous, but you've been loving and compassionate. And you have lived out that helping mothers to be in dire situations, you've demonstrated care and compassion. I'm grateful for those of you who helped to start and continue to sustain the Ministry of Covenant Care Services has placed over 630 children in adoptive homes and as well as your great care for the birth mothers. Now to give you an idea, 
you know, they always tell you that you overestimate what you can do in one year, but you underestimate what you can do in five. And as Covenant Care has been in existence a lot more than five years, but I would guess that there's about 250 people in this room right now. So look around. Now multiply that by about two and a half times. And that's the number of, of, of babies that have been placed, many of whom who would have been aborted. And now they're not only parents, some are, uh, well, they're of an age, given the history of covenant care, where they themselves are parents. So it's been multiplied many times. I remember years ago calling a crisis pregnancy center here in town and saying, hey, tomorrow I'm going to preach uh, about, uh, the, about abortion and sanctity of human life. And do y'all have any particular needs? And do you have needs for human resources, financial resources? And they said, well, we found that that about 90% of women who actually see an ultrasound of their unborn child choose not to have an abortion. And they said, we'd like to purchase an ultrasound machine. And by today's dollars, the figure she gave me was about $80,000. It was laughable. It was so high. The next day in the sermon, in a passing comment, I just said, hey, does anybody have an extra $80,000? This ministry needs this. The money was in hand the next afternoon because of you. It wasn't one person, it was many. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for those of you who've served in our church, in the political arena. You've been a voice for the unborn, those in the legal profession who've assisted with many adoptions, as well as many here in the medical profession as nurses and doctors. I have more stories that can't be told of where you have ministered to people in local hospitals and in various situations that I hear about. Thank you for those who have prayed and worked. Uh, we realize any Supreme Court decision, whether it comes or not, is, is still a generational effort because it's an issue of the heart. It's far more than just a legal issue. And I am honored and grateful to serve in a church where the session, particularly the leadership, have always encouraged me when I've had the opportunity to speak at pro-life events and represent our church. There's never been any hesitation. They've always been, yes, do it. That is rare, I can tell you, from being a pastor. I'm grateful and honored to serve where adoption is encouraged and honored and practiced, including in my own family. We have a disabled son who's now 25 years old. His church has a special needs nursery. We've tried to reach out at times. It's very difficult in the disabled community because every situation is so different. But from the time he was born, and having a, a, a nurse in Birmingham quiz me in the, in the ICU why we had not aborted him. And you have just done everything to show compassion. And uh, for a child, it would have been a very easy target uh, for abortion. And it is hard. It is hard to care for a disabled child. But you've made it a lot easier because you understand the value of the human life that's not determined by a person's brain capacity or how staged they may be in their mental capacity. So I just want to thank you for that. As I've heard things this week, it's just made me more and more grateful for you. Okay, since today is Mother's Day, let's look at the text. I want to look at the fifth commandment uh, from Exodus chapter 20 and also in the New Testament from its application in Ephesians 6. We take the Ten Commandments, and for those that you know this, but especially our children that have learned their catechism, the children's catechism, and that is that the Ten Commandments has two tables 
you have the first four commandments, that's called the first table of the law, and then the last six commandments are called the second table of the law. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six commandments deal with our relationships with one another. That's how in the New Testament, when Jesus summarized the law, he said you could summarize it by saying, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first four commandments. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second table of the law, the last six commandments. So everything begins with a relationship with God. In order to do the last six commandments, we need to be influenced by the first four commandments, to love God before we even try to love others. I heard a story of a young man in Chicago. He lived in a family that moved almost every year because of his father's work. And so he decided when he reached a certain age that he was going to quit trying to build friendships in all the different cities where in the schools where he was taken. And so he, he ended up in Chicago and his, the dad had a job there and he had just graduated high school. And so he said, I'm staying here in Chicago. I'm not going to keep saying goodbye to my friends every year. And I, I'm going to stay here and try to get to know people. And so he described the day that his, his parents drove away from Chicago. He said he had a job, he had a house to stay in, he had friends, he had a car. But as he waved goodbye to his parents, he said, there was an emptiness, there was a hole in my heart that made me think I want to have a relationship with someone with whom I never have to say goodbye. He longed for such a relationship. Listen, parents, you can have the tightest bond with your children, but it will not fill that void in your heart that can only be filled by God himself. Children the same. You can have the tightest bond with parents, but it will not ultimately fill the needs of your heart that can only be filled by the Lord Jesus himself. So this begins when you and I recognize that we have a problem with God, that we have sinned, that God must punish that. Somebody has to pay for the sin, either us or Jesus, his son, who lived a perfect life and died as a substitute for others. So here's a couple of observations, just a few, about parents and children. Number one, there are no perfect parents when you come to this commandment, just as there are no perfect children. We are fallen people in a fallen world, and if we were perfect, there would be no need for this commandment. So word to children, and those who are younger here, all parents have weaknesses and faults, and only God is the perfect parent. Even the best parents make mistakes. And the Bible says we have all sinned, and a lot of that sin is toward one another. There are also parents who are not worthy of honor. What I mean by that is they may have been abusive or manipulative or neglectful or even harmful. So you may be saying, well, what's God telling me to do? Am I just supposed to put on a, a fake smile and pretend everything is great? No, God is telling you, I want you to honor that position of parenthood. What about step-parents for young children? They are in a very difficult, complicated spot and no two situations are exactly the same. But my advice as a pastor, for a, a young person, if a step-parent enters the picture while you're young, honor that person, if at all possible. Word to parents, there are no perfect parents. You cannot guarantee how your children will turn out. That's the sermon in and of itself. You cannot guarantee how your children will turn out. God has given 
children a will of their own. You cannot ultimately determine the outcome of his or her heart. Of course, we are to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that is a very, very severe and strong responsibility. But we cannot determine whether they will love Christ or whether they will not. And if they do, let's be grateful and celebrate. Your children are not wanting to see if you are perfect. They're wanting to see if your faith is real. That's what they want to see. They're not looking for perfection. Do you really mean what you're saying? Is your faith genuine? Second observation before we look at the commandment itself is that respect for all authority begins in the home. There's no, nothing new there. That's not earth shattering. God never intended respect for authority to end in the home. It begins there. It's the starting place. There are other legitimate authorities we know which flow from Scripture. Um, and, and we're given those examples with, with the government and in the home, husbands and wives and uh, government. And we can think about employees and employers. This year, Mike Krzyzewski retired as head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. He's coached them for 42 years. And he led them to five national titles and 13 Final Fours. He was 12-time National Coach of the Year. He built a dynasty in basketball, in college basketball, that, that few programs in history can match. And like any sports program, recruiting players is the key. Coach K said that when they would send recruiters to a prospective player's home, they intentionally visited that player in the home. They didn't want to meet at some other place. They wanted to see them in their home. The reason was they wanted to see how the player related to the family and to the parents. Because they said they knew that how that player related to the authority at home will be how they will relate to the authority at school. That's why they wanted to see them there. So what is the role of parents when we think about this fifth commandment that's directed toward children and yet there's a lot here, and when it's expounded on in the New Testament, it includes direct words, especially to fathers. So what is involved in being a parent worthy of honor? I want to give you a summary, and I've tried to update the language some, from a writer in the 1600s, Thomas Watson, the Puritan who wrote three books that you probably ought to have. One is on the Ten Commandments, the other one's on the Lord's Prayer. And the, the third, essentially, is on the Apostles' Creed. But here's how he summarized what it meant to be a parent worthy of honor. Be careful to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Augustine said of his mother, Monica, that she suffered more for his spiritual birth than for his natural birth. Instruct them with the scriptures and teach them about God. Second, if you would have your children honor you, keep up parental authority. Be kind, but do not spoil them. Third, provide for them what is fitting, both when they are young and as they get older. Four, as they grow, help them to know their calling in life so that they may serve their generation. It is good to consult the natural talents and inclination of the child. For forced callings do as much harm as forced marriages. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. To let a child be out of a calling is to expose that child to temptation. Fifth, 
Watson said, act lovingly to your act lovingly to your children, and all your counsels and commands let them see love, because love will command honor. Next, pray much for them. That's all he said. <laughs> he didn't even expound. I think it's just that speaks for itself. Pray much for them. Then encourage that which you see, which is good and commendable in your children. Commending that which is good in your children is like watering the plant, which makes the plant grow. Some parents discourage the good they see in their children and so nip virtue in the bud and help to damn their children's souls. One more. If you would have honor from your children, set a good example. It makes children despise parents when the parents live in contradiction to their own precepts. When they tell their children to be sober and yet they themselves get drunk. Or they bid their children to fear God while they themselves do not. If you would have your children honor you, teach them by a holy example. I would add two more to these. One, lead them. This was the primary role of parents in the past. And that is, what do you want your children to be? Emphasis today is almost completely on externals, on appearance and grades and performance and athletic ability and popularity, rather than on character. How about these words? Contentment, courage, courtesy, discernment, fairness, friendliness, generosity, gentleness, helpfulness, honesty, humility, kindness, obedience, patience, persistence, self-control, tactfulness, thankfulness, faithfulness, wisdom. Who is teaching these things? You can't delegate it to the teachers or the Sunday school teachers or to the youth pastor. It's mom and dad. It needs to be us. Learn to complement character more than talent. As I heard someone one time say, catch your child doing something right and acknowledge it. And third or second observation I'll make is laugh with him. May the Lord give us homes that are filled with joy. You know, the humans are the only part of God's creation that can do these three things. We can weep, we can blush, and we can laugh. And kids are inherently funny. I don't use my, I, without, I never use my own family in a sermon illustration without permission. But in this case, I'm going <laughs> to. Sarah. <laughs> Uh, for many years, when we would leave, we had Sunday night worship, and when we would leave, I, we always had two cars because I would come down here earlier and do stuff. And so I, sometimes the kids would ride with me or one or two of them. And there was this little routine that I wouldn't talk about in advance, but I'd go up here, uh, forget the street, about two blocks up, and you know where you're at the top of the hill by the parking lot for Mulberry Methodist across from the Shrine, uh, the Shriners thing. You go down the hill and there's a liquor store, an old liquor store on the left. I don't think it's that anymore. And there's a big bump that goes like that. <laughs> well, if you time it right from the top, I could see when the light turned, was turning yellow and I could go down real fast and we'd get airborne right by that. So I destroyed two transmissions doing this, but it was worth it. So one of our daughters was with me and 
I wouldn't tell them I was going to do that. They just knew when I turned the car to go up, if I just turned, you know, I'm going to turn right. Oh, yeah, okay, you know, and so they'd take their seatbelt off because they tried to see if their head <laughs> would, would hit the roof. So we go down and, wham, and it hit especially hard that time. I mean, we must have gotten that far off the ground. So we go down past Satterfields and we turn on the Riverside Drive and suddenly the car goes, and gets real loud. And I look in the rearview mirror and the muffler is in the road. <laughs> and, and my, I guess about three or four year old, no, no she'd, been, she'd been about six years old, is sitting there and she goes, what is that? I mean, now the car's so loud, you can only imagine. And I said, oh no. She said, what's wrong? I said, we lost our muffler. And she went, and we kept driving. I said, what's wrong? She goes, we lost our mother. Where can you get humor like that? I, we can all tell stories. Laugh about those things. When we get together, we don't talk about, hey, remember that time you made a D in that class? Oh, that was so bad. No, it's the funny things, the, the things we laugh about. Okay, to the text. How may a parent provoke his children to wrath when it says in Ephesians for fathers not to do that? One is by cursing them rather than blessing them. When during discipline, the correction exceeds the fault. Is it really that bad? Um, when parents show partiality to one child over another. Uh, when parents give commands to a child that there's no way they can perform without violating their own conscience. What is the role of children then? Okay, the commandment's back to, you're saying, Chip, you're talking to parents. What about children? Well, what does it mean to honor your parents? It means to attribute or give weight to a person. That's what it means to honor. The commandment means we should look up to those whom God has placed in lawful authority over us, to regard them highly, to show respect and consideration. It's a commandment with a promise, and the promise is a long life, a full life. It's a generic principle. It's God's principle. It doesn't mean that every person who honors his or her mother and father will live a long life. It's just a general principle. And the commandment is addressed here to children, not to parents. The reason it's addressed to children is because there are no perfect parents, just as there are no perfect children. So God is saying, I want you to give weight. I want you to give honor. I want you to give influence to those parents. And you honor them when you're young with obedience. And then the chain of command changes to a chain of counsel. And then throughout your life, you... You honor them, even though there may not be obedience involved. That fades out. But the command to honor is always there. Now, my parents died years ago, but I try to be careful how I speak about them. I don't want to show dishonor toward them since they're not here. I, so I, you may say, well, you, you aren't bound by this commandment. No, I am, e even though... They are no longer in this life. Honor them with gratitude. The older children get into their teens, the more they see the faults and the shortcomings of the parents. That's just natural. So it becomes all the more important to continue to show honor and to accept them in spite of their weaknesses. And that doesn't mean pretending they're, they're perfect, 
but it did realize God used them to bring you into this world and no one, no one will ever make the investment in your life like your father and mother. The investment of time and money and emotions and taxi service and education and health and medical care, all that. No one will make that kind of investment in you like they did. There was a poll years ago taken of American parents asked what they would like most from their children. You know what the number one answer was? Respect. Respect. It wasn't even obedience. It was just respect. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they used the law of God as an excuse to avoid caring for their elderly parents. Now, if you were here last week, you know that means even by over 25. But uh, <laughs> you'll have to go back. You won't go back. It, it, it was something. So we're to t we're, we have responsibility to take care of them if it's needed when, when they are elderly. And you say, well, it will be a tremendous strain. Well, that's exactly what society told them when they decided to have you. <laughs> and taking care of an elderly parent can be challenging. It's never glamorous. And every family has to do the best they can to make the decisions with the most knowledge and wisdom they have. There's no simple answer. But the, the admonition is do the best you can, care for them, love and honor them until God calls them home. Now, for adults with a broken relationship with a parent, if you're grown and you've got a, a severed relationship with a parent, bridge that gap. Try to do what you can to bridge that gap. Move in that direction, if at all possible. And the same with parents toward grown children. And then honor them by what you are. As you grow, you want to, you want to give your mom the best Mother's Day present? then don't worry about the fifth commandment. Obey the first one. Love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And when you get older, love your spouse and your children, and by doing that, you honor your father and mother. That is the greatest gift a parent could have, is to say that I raised a child who advanced the kingdom of God. I heard a pastor, a friend of mine that I have the greatest respect for, say that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care if my child or children m make a lot of money or have, make a name for themselves or live the American dream. If they love God, I'm going to die with a smile on my face. That's the way he put it. And he meant it. So let me wrap this up. I say this to a young person. You owe it to yourself to trust Christ and to follow him as your savior. You must decide whether to follow Christ or not. And I think some people reject Christ out of rebellion to their parents. And not that something isn't warranted, but that is a foolish decision. Because when you and I stand before God, we will be there on our own. And the Lord Jesus. Uh, and and it, it won't be an excuse to you to say, well, my, my parents uh, caused me to turn against you. So are you a young person, older person? Uh, are you honoring your father and mother? Did you honor your father and mother? How are you feeling about all this right now? <laughs> know what this commandment shows us? It shows us what all the commandments shows us, that we don't measure up. 
That's the intention of the law. As Paul said, it's a schoolmaster that leads us to the gospel. We can't look at these commandments and say, you know, I checked that one off. I, I did real well in that. I never violated that. No, if you look at it honestly, it devastates us. Just take this one commandment and we see that truly we have sinned against God. So what does it do? It says we need a savior. And God says his law leads us to Christ. And so do you love Christ this morning? Have you received him? You can do so today. You can do so right now by placing your trust in him. Ask God to give you the forgiveness that Jesus bought when he died on the cross. And re remember, remember what the Gospel of John says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. He is the perfect father. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you because Jesus taught us to call you our father and you are the perfect, you are the perfect father. And we, we ask that you would cause us to embrace Christ as our redeemer, help those here who are parents to be godly examples of genuine faith, not of perfection. We pray for those who are um, young that this commandment applies uh, to honor their father and mother and, and ask that you might give us wisdom in doing that in a culture that grows more and more and more to hate authority, all authority in the family itself. And we pray that you might cause our families to flourish biblically, that they would be places where the fruit of the Spirit is displayed. And we know if that happens, it's only by your grace and mercy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.